Hello, this is Pastor Corey Ehrman. You're listening to my podcast. I hope it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch you through this teaching. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless. I want you to just put your hand over your heart and say, My divine calling. So this is something important to understand. I felt instructed by the Holy Spirit to do that because it's something that's personal to you. It's something that defines you. It's who you are. It's your identity. If you even look in the very beginning as God blessed Adam, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, seeded the garden, placed him in the Garden of Eden, and gave him an assignment, a calling. There was a divine calling to keep the garden, to protect it, and to grow it, and to increase it, and to multiply it, to walk in the blessing, to subdue, and to have dominion. That was a divine calling. He had an assignment. He had a responsibility. And it was when he failed to do his divine calling is that he lost out on the blessing. So the blessing on your life, living the blessed life. Everyone say, living the blessed life. It is tied to you finding and walking in your divine calling. Amen. So the call of God, you need to understand that this is precious. This is a treasure. Your divine calling is the most valuable thing you have on this earth. Honestly, it's worth more than gold or silver. It's worth more than precious stones. It is precious. It's a treasure. It's the treasure that you carry in this earthen vessel. And the call of God, your divine calling, it pushes buttons deep within your inner being. Gives, gives you the peace, the purpose that passes all understanding. It gives you joy that's unspeakable, full of glory. It gives you the ability to love those who don't see it, who don't even treat you right. And it fulfills the reason for your existence. That's your divine calling. And looking back upon my life, I always somehow knew that I had a purpose as Everyone feels that. Even as a kid, I felt a purpose. I mean, when kids would be out playing soccer in my nation where I grew up till the age of 12, the nation of Turkey, you know, we call it football there. That's the real football. You play with your feet. So <laughs> soccer, football, I, I'd go home and, uh, or I read things about God, I'd search, and the only one that I knew at the time that I, we considered him to be a, a, a religious man was my grandfather on my father's side. He had been to the pilgrimage in Mecca five times and was a devout Muslim. So I just thought that he, if anybody knows anything about God, it would be him. So I'd go to him. But all he taught me was religion, which, of course, by my teen years, left me feeling very empty at the age of 16. I turned away from religion, then ended up just getting sucked into all the wrong stuff for a season there in my life, just trying to fit in and the party life and the worldly life. But then the Lord got my attention at the age of 17. 
God spoke to me in an audible voice. I heard the audible voice of God in the month of May at the age of 17 on my high school graduation night. After graduation, I went to a party, wasted about 3 o'clock in the morning. The place I was at was full of just loud music, eardrum bursting kind of loud music, and all of a sudden everything went quiet, and there was an audible voice that spoke to me. He said, young man, get up, leave this place. I have a plan for your life. You will never be like this again. And instantly, I was sober in my right mind, and the music came back on, and something struck me. Like, that voice went right through me into my bones. And the best way I can explain it, now I know what it was. I didn't know then, but I can define it. It was conviction that came deep into my innermost being that I can't live life like this. There's more to life than this. And I know that I'm a, I have a, there's a purpose for my life. And why would I waste my life in this place? Trying to fit in and please people who don't really even like me. But I got up just as the voice said. I walked out totally sober in my right mind. Drove myself home. And that was the beginning of my journey of searching for God. Because I had been disillusioned by religion. And that's what happens with a lot of people. They equate religion with God. And once they're disillusioned with religion, offended with religion, turned off by religion. Who's, who's ever here been turned off by religion? Because I tell you, religion sends more people to hell than anything else. Because religion pushes people away from God. Religion will not help you discover your divine calling and your destiny. So for me, that was the beginning of searching once again for the things of God, because I knew that I knew that I knew something supernatural had happened. Who is this God that spoke to me? I never lost my belief in God. I just didn't want to have anything to do with religion. Amen. I never lost my belief in God. I just didn't want to have anything to do with religion. And if there was a way to have a personal relationship with God, then I definitely want to know it. So... That launched me on a journey. Eventually, I heard the gospel within a few months. And then eventually, I gave my life to the Lord, became a born-again Christian. Started my journey walking with the Lord. But the most significant thing for me was what happened on November 12, 1995. Being a, see, being a Christian... Being a born-again Christian does not guarantee that you're walking in your divine calling. It gives you access to your divine calling, but you still have to discover it. Jesus talked about it. It's the pearl of great price. I mean, it's like the man that finds that pearl of great price, you know, he sells everything, all that he has and goes, buys, you know, the plot of land and so that he can have that one precious thing. So you have to sell out to the call of God. So you could still be a Christian and you could be... Pursuing a career, you can be going through the motions, you can be pursuing a hobby, you can be pursuing this, pursuing that, just whatever, and even be in church and still not know your divine calling and be connected to your divine calling. Because now you have to purposefully, intentionally seek out the call of God for your life. What is that specific thing that God has for you? And it is going to be progressive. Progressive. 
You're not going to step into it, boom, day one. You're going to have a glimpse of it. And you're going to begin to walk in the right direction. And you're going to have to walk things out. It's called the faith walk. Amen. And every step has to be a step of faith. And along the way, there's going to be some potholes, some bumps, some distractions, some devils, some more devils, and some people who look like devils, and the flesh, and the world around you, and a lot of things. It's going to be a treacherous road. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Many find it, but narrow is the way that leads to life. Few, few find it. So, and many are called, but few, again, say few. Everyone say few. Few are chosen. Who are the ones that are chosen? The few that are chosen are the few that find that narrow way. And the further you go along with your calling, the narrower it gets. And the margin of error, come on, is less. The higher you rise up in leadership, the narrower the road gets, the narrower the way gets. The, the more mature you become in Christ, the fewer the options are. A lot of Christians, they feel like they have options. You actually don't have any options. They only really have, they only, there's only one option, and the, and the choice has already been made, and it's to serve God. And so it's going to take a commitment and a dedication. So on that faithful day, November 12, 1995, I came to my apartment in Houston, Texas, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I left the office about 3.30 in the afternoon. I walked in. I was between projects. At the time, I was working and consulting, traveling on projects a lot of times, in and out, all over the place, and uh, what some of my friends would consider living a great life, but I was so dissatisfied. I was so dissatisfied. I, the, the hunger, the desperation had been growing for about six months, and, um, and my prayer life became shorter and shorter in the sense I no longer had a shopping list. I had one word prayer. God! Because I couldn't really express what I felt. It was that inner groaning in my spirit. Crying out, groaning. The deep crying out to deep. What do you have for my life? That really, that, that's, all, that, that's the, my only prayer. That my, the only thing I ask God, what do you have for my life? I don't care about this. I don't care about that. What? Do you have for my life? That was my only prayer. And, and it wasn't until I came to that place that I really discovered my divine calling. And that's what it's going to take for every believer. They have to come to that place. Or where searching, seeking out, and finding the divine calling of God is the only thing that matters. Everything else just falls into place when you find that. Because everything else just basically is insignificant. Everything else is temporal. Everything else will just fade away. Like the Apostle Paul said, you know, forgetting the things that lie behind me, I press on toward the high calling of God for what is laid up for me on the other side. My reward that awaits me. That's the only thing that matters. That's that which is eternal. Amen? So 3.30 in the afternoon, I sat on my couch in my living room in my townhouse in Houston, Texas. 
And I was crying out to God. I was going through some things at work, frustrated, just many, many things. Just every, every great project that I wanted to be on, I, I, I wouldn't get, get on it. I ended up getting on the worst projects that year, 95. Every, every project I desired would fall through, and I would get stuck with the worst project nobody wanted to go to. And I would pray for those projects, but the Lord was not answering my prayer. Thank God. Because there was just a growing dissatisfaction in my spirit. And I knew that there had to be something more. So I'm crying out, and as I'm there on the couch, suddenly, man, (laughs) the glory of God, the glory of God rolled in from the other side of my living room, came into the room. I never saw it, but I felt it. It felt like the air became thick. It felt like the air was electrified. Something, the atmosphere changed, and I felt it move towards me like a wave, and it took a few seconds. So there was that time, I, something, because when the glory of God comes, like everything changes. There's like, a, there's like an awe. You don't even want to move. And the glory of God just came like a wave, and it hit my feet, went right through me, and I found myself in, in an encounter, a vision. It felt we, real. Ultimately, I was taken up, passed through, lifted up through the clouds into the glory of God. And I was standing on the, on the clouds with this blinding light, what the Bible calls unapproachable light. And all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus appeared and he came, stood in front of me, held his hands out like this. His face was shining like the noonday sun. You can't even look at it. Split second, I looked. His hair was like flames of fire. On him was a white garment. It appeared to be made of light all the way down to his feet. There was a gold sash around his waist. When he held his hands out to me like this, I tried to look at him. It was too overwhelming of a sight. He never said a word, but I knew he said so much. I fell at his feet. As I'm falling at his feet, he was just a few inches above the clouds, and I heard a voice Echoing throughout the heavens. It sounded like a trumpet, but it was a voice. His coming is on the clouds. And it just echoed and echoed throughout the heavens. And it was significant because at that moment I realized he's coming back very soon. If he just moved a few more inches and touched the clouds, time was up. And it was like a sense of urgency, a sense of eternity gripped me. And I woke up. I was no longer sitting on the couch. I was on my face, weeping uncontrollably, shaking under the power of God. I mean shaking, 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 weeping, snot, saliva. There was like a puddle of snot, saliva, and tears on the carpet. And probably took me, I don't know, a good 15 minutes to gather myself. And I looked out, and it was dark. I thought, what? And I looked at my watch, it was 9.30 p.m. Six hours had passed by, what seemed like a few seconds. And I was just, I couldn't even sleep that night. I just walked, for the next week, I was like a drunk man. I walked around just weeping everywhere. I'm sitting in a project planning meeting in a corporate boardroom 
of a client and I started bawling my eyes out. I had to excuse myself to go sit on the toilet, <laughs> go through a roll of toilet paper, just, just weeping. I don't even know. I was just weeping, weeping, like being broken. When Jesus stood in front of me like this, he never said a word, but I knew that I knew that I knew he was asking me to give my life for the cause of the gospel. It was like I knew. I knew that I knew. Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. I, that was it. I just knew that I have to go preach the gospel. Then the Lord, I knew that I was called, called into the ministry. And what Jesus was really asking was, see, he, he just comes with an invitation. Then you have to respond. He said, would you give me, will you give, give me your life for the gospel? Will you give your life for the ministry? That, that was the call. And I knew it, and I answered. I said, yes, Lord, that's it. This is it. This is what I've been crying out for. I'm, I'm done. And within two months, I resigned. I was, I was back in my country, Turkey, February 1996. Started out in the ministry with the call of God. And a number of things happened in those two months. God spoke to me in a couple of different dreams to confirm some things and just a lot of other things. But the bottom line is because a lot of people are looking for that encounter. They're looking for the, the voice. But you know what? I'm trying to show you the process. It's not going to happen until you come to that place of desperation where you are just crying out because the call of God, your divine calling, will require a consecration. It will require a consecration. And it will require a separation. Because consecration has two dimensions to it. In order to be able to consecrate to God, first and foremost, you have to separate yourself. If you look at the different people in the Bible, look at their lives, read their lives, God always first calls them to separate, leave something behind. Abraham, leave your father's house, leave your hometown, leave everything behind, leave your earthly inheritance, because you know he had an inheritance from his earthly father. Leave it all behind and go where I will show you. I will bless you. I am making a covenant with you that if you will obey me, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make a great nation out of you. I will give you land and inheritance. And I'll make you a blessing. And through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I'll cause people to fear you. And those who curse you, I'll curse. Because it's like God's like taking it personally now. Because he's coming covenant with you. So it's... A, your calling is a covenant transaction. It's a covenant. It's a relationship. It comes out of a relationship. And it comes out of you seeking the Lord and to get into that relationship that he desires. So first and foremost, you have to separate yourself from the world. Separate yourself. For me, it was leaving everything. Career. I mean, I told people, come to my apartment. Just take whatever you want. Now, I mean... The, the, the church, you know, environment that I was in, there was none of this kind of radical giving. You never heard anything, breaking the alabaster box. I never even heard any messages. But I, I just knew I was broken because the alabaster box was broken and the perfume was poured out. So I, and like Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. So I had to pour myself out. I had to be broken. That's what that... The week of just walking around weeping was just the total brokenness that happened to me. And throughout the years now, I've seen people 
in our church and, you know, I see the hand of God and they're just walking around and they, they're weeping, they're broken, and they come to him, Pastor, what's happening to me? He said, Lord's preparing you for ministry. You're being broken. You're being broken and you're being completely stripped, stripped bare. You have nothing to hold on to anymore. So I told everybody, I told my friends, come, come to the, come to the house, take what you want. Brand new furniture, brand new sound system. I mean, best of the best. People just took them. Golf clubs, brand new. Best of the best. Used it like two, three times. Take them. Just, I just gave everything away. And I never heard a message like that. But it, it, it happened on the inside of me. That I didn't really care for these things. And I can't go in the ministry with all this stuff anyways. So I took one suitcase with me. And a one-way ticket. Coming here to West Palm Beach just a little over five years ago. Because of the divine calling that established this work here. This base of operation. We came with seven suitcases. This time I had my wife and my daughter. You know, I've done that several times now throughout the years. Just leave everything behind. Just go where God tells you to do. Start over afresh. Because if he's called you and he said he'll bless you, you have to obey. So the divine calling of God is going to require separation. Separating from the world. Separating from things that you have to leave behind. And then consecrating, pressing into the things of God. You cannot consecrate until you first separate. The reason many Christians have a hard time consecrating to the things of God because they've never separated. They haven't separated and walked away from a life of self and sin and the things of the world and whatever their own plans and pursuits are, that things that they want to do. I wanted to go, I was going to go get an MBA in one of the top Ivy League schools. I had an opportunity to do that. And I could have become a, eventually a partner in the consulting company making several million dollars a year. That was the path that was laid out before me in my career. I had been actually searching and looking and interviewing and applying to MBA programs. Some of the top schools, I could get into them. But that, that wasn't the, the call of God. That wasn't the will of God. Coming here to West Palm Beach. There were a few places we looked at. Wasn't the will of God until the Lord spoke and gave the exact place. Because we had the word of the Lord. And the word was confirmed to me January 2015. Northern Ireland in a, city called, in a town called Bellamina. Dr. Rodney was doing a week of meetings there at the church. And I was not able to come to Tampa for the minister's conference or, or the winter camp meeting. So I went to, to see him. I felt I needed to go see him in Northern Ireland. So I went there to a small town called Bellamina. And the only reason... Pastor Ronnie ended up there because there was a YouTube video of him praying in tongues where he said, Balamina, Balamina, Balamina. And the pastor, somebody forwarded it to the pastor. He heard it said, would you come to my church for a week of revival? Pretty wild stuff. But, and his daughter was for a season, a few months in our church because she was doing an internship with a school in Turkey. So, you know, so I said, I had a connection. I mean, go see him. And then he gives me the word of the Lord saying, God's going to give you another base. And we had been feeling that. We prayed into it, 
And jokingly, I said, well, maybe I'll go to London because wherever I go has to be English speaking because uh, we're just thinking we're going to be somewhere in Europe because that's where we mainly traveled, establishing churches and Bible schools in Europe, doing revivals. Mainly Middle Eastern Europe was our, and, and some of Africa was our place of operation. I was, every, you know, every month I was somewhere in Europe for a, a good number of years. And out of that came multiple river, river churches and river Bible institutes. But... um. You know, the thing was <laughs> um, that then the Lord spoke, go to West Palm Beach. But it wasn't something that happened overnight. There's always a process. Amen? So the divine calling of God is going to cause you. Imagine you have a church of 18 years, well-established, 12 full-time staff, Bible school. You go into all these places in Europe. Now you have to get up and move to a city where nobody knows you. And I'm not in my 30s anymore. It was easier when I was in my 20s and 30s. You know. But you obey. So you are here today. We are here this morning. Because there was a call to come to West Palm Beach. To start this church. And who knows what's in our future. There will be other churches. There are many other churches in our future. Oh my God. Is pastor leaving? I didn't say that. But you have to know. If the call comes, I'll hug you, I'll kiss you, and I'll go. Because it's more important for me to obey God than to, to, you know, because there were a lot of tears when we left Istanbul. It was not easy emotionally at all. I was shaken up. I remember being here the first few months of the church looking out to people going, my God, these are not my people. My people are back in Istanbul. I mean, you know, do you understand me? The emotions that you feel. But then eventually you all became my people. Amen. Now I go to Istanbul, there's people I've never met to go, but they watch me on, on, on TV or they watch me messages. I, you know, almost weekly I send video messages and, and minister to the people there to stay connected and whatever. And they're like, Pastor, yes, what's your name? You know. But it's all about the kingdom. Everyone say it's all about the kingdom. When you're kingdom minded, you see things in a different perspective. You see, you have a bird's eye view of things. And you kind of see where you fit into that whole grand scheme of everything. Hallelujah. And then, of course, I, we come here and then we find out many people come and say, we've been praying for a river church here. And the Lord heard the cry of many people. This guy here, Orlando, he called me when I was in Turkey. He found out we were coming here. Pastor, I've been praying. He didn't even know me. He said, I'm, 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 in, I'm in. He didn't even know me, but the, the Holy Ghost had done the work, connected us. You know, just and others, many others like that. People have come and said, I saw you in my dream that you were coming here. People walked into this church and go, oh my God, I saw you in my dream. And that makes you like, know that, you know, hey, <laughs> we didn't miss God, you know. Because sometimes you don't feel like it. And then you, you know, and the people you're sent to, someone work against you. Like Jesus, he was sent to his own and his own received them not. He's like, how much longer must I suffer with you people? But he stuck it out. Because it was for the call of God. He said, Father. He prayed, Father. Father, not my will. 
but let your will be done. He consecrated to the point of sweating blood. He consecrated. Bible says he was obedient unto death. And because he obeyed unto death, he was given the name which is above every name. Hallelujah. So the greatness, mm, I feel that right now. The greatness that is ordained for your life comes in the consecration to the divine calling of God on your life. There's a greatness for each and every person. As he said to Abram before he was Abraham, I will make your name great. There's a greatness in you. A great nation shall come forth from your loins. There's a greatness locked in every believer. It's the divine calling of God. The deep that cries out to deep. And few find it. Because so many will be the distractions. So many will be the discouragements. Have I been discouraged along the way? I've lost count. Many a Sunday I went home and said, I quit. I, I resigned the ministry only to hire myself back Monday morning. Get up, put on my pants, big boy pants, put on my shirt and just, just go back to work. Just go back to work. Because you pour your life out into people for the things of God and then people betray you, they criticize you, they get offended with you over petty things. And it's like, can we just, because you see, it's the petty things, it's the little things that will spoil the journey. You gotta, you gotta stop focusing on the little things. There'll always be little things. There's always something little. Take your eyes off of the little things. Stop looking at the speck of dust in your brother's eye when you got a plank in your own. Deal with the big stuff. Deal with the big stuff in your life, the, the, the giants, the Goliaths that will come. Conquer those and then you'll be able to walk in the call of God. Because the, the enemy will come to challenge you. As soon as you step out in the call, as soon as you step out in the anointing, the enemy will come to challenge you. Has God said? And I look back on that day, November 12, 1995. That's what carries me. Every single time something happens, I go back to that day. Jesus stood before me. He called me. I walk around like a drunk man for a week, weeping, shaking in my bones. The fire of God hit me. I've been radically transformed and changed. I go back to that day. That's what carries me. And so for the, some of the things, I mean, because when you've been put in prison for the gospel and you've ha had a gun put to your head, when you live under death threats and you, get, you go through betrayals, you go through all kinds of stuff, people turn on you, all kinds of stuff, personal issues, you look back on that day, you know that God called you. And that strengthens you. So... Is this helping anybody here this morning? Amen. Put your hand over your heart one more time. Say, my, my. divine calling. Divine. Okay, see, it's yours. It's not mine, it's yours. Every single one has their own. 
And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to compete with anybody. You don't have to compare yourself with anybody. It's just whatever God has called you, it's yours. It's what defines you. It's yours. That's it. That's it. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, New King James says, Who has saved us and called us. See, you were saved and called. So if you've been saved, the next step is your calling. Now you're, you're set up to discover your calling. Who has saved us and called us into a holy calling. Not according to our works, thank God. Because I messed up many times. I made many mistakes along the way. I'm much wiser now. Amen. I look back on the things I'm like, oh my God. Can I go back and beat that little guy? Can I go back and talk to my younger self and slap him up the side of the head? And talk some sense and slap some sense into him. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Come on, somebody. I mean, before you were even born, God already ordained your life. So your life is already ordained. It's not like God sitting up there and going, oh, okay, now he's asking me what his purpose is. Let me try to come up with something for this guy. No, he already knows it. It was already set before you were even born, before time even began. So there's not a single person in this room watching on the broadcast under the sound of my voice that is on this planet by accident. Everyone here is, is here alive and you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. This is your time. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and you have a divine destiny. You're not just some human being, some blimp on the radar. You are a child of the Most High God. You are precious. You are, you are one of his special people. You are a chosen generation. Jesus said, I didn't, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And so, and, and over the years, some people have had a problem with my ministry. And I said, go talk to Jesus. He's the one who chose me. Amen. I don't like you. I love you. I don't like your ministry. Um, talk to Jesus. Somebody, one, one guy came and did that really happen on November 12th? You're making it up. Whatever, bro. Whatever. I have nothing to prove to you. Because I have nothing to lose and I have nothing to prove. That's what it is. When you separate, that's, you come to that place where you have nothing to prove to anybody and then you also have nothing to lose.
Just be who God called you to be and you'll bear fruit and other people will recognize it. People who have eyes to see, but people who are blind, they will never see it. They would know it if it stood right in front of their face and, and screamed at them. They wouldn't, what? They wouldn't know it, so forget about it. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Is this helping anybody here today? I just sense, man, people, some people are bawling their eyes out here. I don't know, something's <laughs> happening here. I think we really hit it on the nail today. But so we saw in, in 2 Timothy 1 9 that, that we're called with a holy calling. This is holy. Holy means consecrated. Separated, set apart for God. Secondly, it's an upward call of God. Yes, amen. There's always going to be an upward mobility involved with the call of God. Hallelujah. It's never going to bring you down. It's going to always bring you up. Yes, it's, it's also going to demand that you always go to the next level in order to stay in it. Yes. If, you stu if you're stuck at the level you're at, you're not growing in your calling. Because to grow in your calling always means you have to go to the next level. That's why I'm always challenging people to go to the next level. Because it's a part of your calling. Because if you can't reach the fullness, the full potential of what God has for you, if you're not constantly going to the next level, if you're not aiming to go to the next level, then you're stuck. Right. Right. Do you understand me? That's why there's always that challenge to go to the next level. Man, Pastor Corey is always challenging us to go to the next level. All right, then just stay exactly as you are. But the, the, there's a reason for that because Paul says, Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing, everyone say one thing. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Upward call of God. That's why I was taken up to the clouds. I wasn't taken down to the pit of hell. Jesus went down to the pit of hell for us so we can go be seated with Christ in heavenly places. So the call of God is an upward. It's, it's always going to be moving up. Being changed from glory onto glory, growing from faith to faith, receiving grace upon grace. So there has to be that, that hunger and a thirst to always go to the next level. Because it's going to put a demand, it's going to place a demand on your life to get to the next level, the call of God. And you're going to have to forget the, the level behind. Well, that was a great place. All right, next. Well, we had a lot of victories there. We had a lot of great success. We... And you all had some failures. Wonderful. That was before. That was the last level. It was great. But let's go to the next level. Like David. I took out the lion. I took out the bear. Now I'm going to take out Goliath and his brothers. I mean, you're going to have to. Well, praise the Lord. Wasn't that one? And there's people that all they do is that I've taken out the lion. And all they do is talk about taking out the lion for the rest of their life. They've never taken out the bear. They've never taken out Goliath. Come on, somebody, you know. Yes. The, that's wonderful of the things that happen. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm I deal with Christians. Man, the revival of the 90s, wasn't that wonderful? I got touched in 1993. What about now? Yeah. 
Ah, man, I got touched five years ago. What about now? Looking at you, you need a fresh touch. And I was so filled. Well, you look empty right now. You leaked out. <laughs> leaky, leaky, leaky. You just look like a looky-loo. Leaky, looky-loo. You know who the looky-loos are, right? They just come to look. They don't enter in. They just look. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Say, I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm reaching higher. I'm moving up higher. Come on, say this. I'm moving up higher. I'm reaching higher. There's more for me. God's got bigger things for me. I'm not satisfied. Well, pastor, you know, I'm retired. No. Well, I've done all I can. No, you haven't. You heard, you heard uh, Pastor Joe here a few weeks ago. His dad was, what, 80? He said, I've got one more church in me. The guy goes and starts a church in Houston at, at, at age 80. And plants it and pastors it for five years before he goes on to be with Jesus. That's how you need to be. Not retired, refired. Come on. And we actually need you. Some of y'all have a lot of experience. It's not time to sit on the sidelines. Leave it to the youngins who don't have the experience. They might have a lot of zeal and passion, but they don't have experience. We need a combination of both. But it has to be tempered with humility, submission. It has to be tempered also. So God has to come and burn out all that ambition. Any ambition you have, it has to be burned out of you. And any insecurity you have, it has to be burned out of you. Because those things will, 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 will stop you, will hinder you. Amen. Amen. I will continue next week on this. So there'll be a part two because there's too much. Let me close with this before I pray for people. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these people? These are the people that have run their race before us. You know... Just imagine we're running the race, we're on the track, but these cloud of witnesses are in the stands cheering us on, overlooking from the banisters of heaven and, and watching us because they run their race and we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. And it's interesting that word for weight there in the Greek is onkos, where we get the word oncology, cancer. You know what these things are? These are the things that look good, but they're not God. Every weight, because whatever looks good and it's not of God, it's not divine, but it looks good. It looks like, you know, hey, Paul was running around arresting Christians, putting them in prison, thinking he was doing something for God. Until 
he had that encounter on the road to Damascus and God got his attention and said, why are you persecuting me? You're kicking against the goats. Like you're actually fighting against the, the one you think you're serving. What you think you're doing is good, but it's not God. And there are things that you can easily get caught up in. Looks good. I mean, think about it. Eve looked at the fruit said, it's good for eating. And completely did against what God had instructed. And so good will get you into trouble. The weight, Saul's armor. They tried to put Saul's armor on young David. That weighed him down so much he couldn't even move. He says, you know what? This ain't working. I got to cast off this weight. And he just took this little slingshot and the smooth stones that he got from the river and went and slayed the, the giant. Think about that. So what is it that the world has put on you? Maybe family has put on you. Other people's expectations and, and things that maybe you have put on yourself for one reason. Or religion has put on you. Or some, some way or another, you picked up something that's not of God. It's a weight that's going to hinder you. That's going to slow you down. It does not appear to be sin. Nobody would have said, oh my God, look at David. He's in sin. He put on Saul's armor. People thought it was a good idea actually. But he had to rely on the anointing, not Saul's armor. And it was the simplicity of the stone and the slingshot that took out that giant by the anointing. So let us cast aside every weight and the sin. Of course, sin would be sin. Anything that is sin, we can talk about that. I mean, you know, you see somebody caught up in sin, you can identify, okay, that's sin. But then there are other things we see people caught up in. It doesn't seem to be sin. Oh, he's just working a job. Oh, it's, he's, it's his career. You know, he needs to make money for his family. Or whatever it could be. Oh, look, it's a great opportunity. But is it God? There has to be a test. Not every open door is God. Because there's a teaching that goes around, walk through the open doors. <laughs> you know what's on the other side? Not every open door is God. Because that's, that's a teaching that goes, it's, it's not a good teaching. Just look for the open door. The devil can open a door. You walk right through it and get yourself in a bunch of trouble. So you have to be able to discern. Let us lay aside every weight, things that will burden you down and weigh you down and things that will be hindrances and slow, things that will slow you down. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is not a hundred yard dash. This is a long distance run. You have to pace yourself. And I've seen people start out, they're going to run a marathon, but they start out like they're running a hundred yard dash and 200 yards into it, they're done. They just, hold on, hold on, hold on, slow down. And they don't like it when I tell them to slow down. They think I'm trying to hold them back. Oh, pastor's trying to hold me back. No, I'm trying to help you endure instead of burn out. 
So that's why that fleshly zeal has to get burnt out of you. Right? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So say, I'm running a heavenly race. Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, or set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everybody wants to sit at the right hand of the throne. Everybody wants the glory. Nobody wants to go through enduring the cross and the difficulties and the challenges, you know. And, and a part of you walking in your divine calling will be, and I'm being honest with you, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, the message. There will be challenges along the way. And with every new level, there's a bigger devil. You just took out that two-foot-tall midget devil. There's a bigger one at the next level. But there's a greater blessing at the next level too. There's a greater reward at the next level. So there will be challenges. There will be adversity along the way. You overcome by faith. You press through those things. You let the fire of God burn in you, and the fire of God's going to burn you through those things. Yeah. Hallelujah. The fire of God is going to burn you through whatever the enemy throws at you. You just can't give up. And there have been many a times when I felt like, man, whew, this is intense. And I look back at the times I thought it was intense. I laugh at it now. It's like a little mosquito buzzing. I thought it was a vulture, but it was just a little mosquito. But you get stronger. You get stronger. And you can deal with the things. The things that used to maybe trouble you don't trouble you anymore. Amen. I often jokingly say this, you know, in, in Turkey we went through multiple church splits. People came in trying to split the church. The first one took me a year to get over. The second one took me a month. The third one took me a week. The fourth one took me a day. The fifth one took me an hour. Sixth one took me a minute. The seventh one, what? Whatever. No, because you just, because the first time I went through, I thought, oh my God, my ministry is over. The church is going to fall out. Are we going to ever make it out of this? And this man was so wicked what he did. So wicked. Eventually everything worked out within a few years. Even his wife left him. She came publicly repented to the whole church for what they had done. I blessed her. We, I, I gave her money to go back to her hometown. And the guy lost his mind, was wandering around the streets eating from dumpsters. And then one day I had a dream. I saw him. He was dying. I saw that he, had, he was dying that, and, I, and I was giving... I was giving a, 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 a command to my associate pastor, go find him, rescue him. He's dying. I said, go find him. I woke up. I immediately called him. I'm like, I had this urgency. Go find him. Go find him. The guy, he's dying. And this is a guy who betrayed me, turned against me, did all kinds of wicked things. He found him. We found out that he had a tumor the size of an orange in his groin area. And then I said, take him immediately to the hospital. And they said, if, if he had been a few days late, he would have died. I paid for the operation. We got him well. Did he ever come and apologize, repent? No. I don't really, I'm not even looking for that. I did it on to the Lord. Because that's my victory. 
I walk in love. I bless those who curse me. Because the blessing is the greater. The, the greater one is the one that blesses. So when you bless, you're greater than the circumstances. You're greater than the people that attack you. You're bigger than that. And that's the victory you have. The guy was almost like Nebuchadnezzar, walking around, eating, talking to himself, eating from the dumpster, because he came under a very, very bad spirit. He was taken over by this demonic spirit. And I mean, he, he thought he was a prophet operating. It was just awful. And he hurt a lot of people. But the Lord has given him many chances. I don't know. I don't even know where he's at today. doesn't really matter. I've done my part. You have to wash some feet along the way. And they're gonna, some feet are going to be very dirty and stinky. Very, very dirty and stinky feet. You're going to have to wash them. Hallelujah. Instead of a title, you need to seek a towel. Too many people are seeking titles instead of seeking towels. Get a towel. Go wash some feet and watch and see how the Lord will bless you and promote you. If I just had a title, no, if you have a towel, that's when you'll see the breakthrough. <laughs> Pastor, do I get a title? No, here's a towel. Go, go, go clean some toilets. Go wash some feet. I'm called. I'm called to be this great, this great, that. All right. Let's see how great you are. Those who are to be the greatest has to be the smallest. Those who are to be the first have to become the last. So you're going to have to make yourself of no reputation. And you're going to have to deal with these attitudes. That Some people, I mean, they're just looking for an offense. They're like an offense waiting to happen. I'm almost afraid to look at them sometimes. They might get offended if I just look at them. If I smile, they get offended. If I don't smile, they get offended. I don't know what to do. It's a no-win situation. Get over yourself. Deal with those things. The little things that will take you out. Some people, every little criticism takes them out. One person just makes a comment, they're done. You have to get strong. And you have to allow the Holy Ghost to come and do the work on the inside of you. Whether it's the healing, the insecurity, uh, whatever it is, the, the, the need for approval, the need for attention. All that stuff needs to get burned out of you because you won't be able to walk in your divine calling. And the need to be always right. You can be right but wrong. Really, really wrong. Do you want to be right or do you want to be blessed? I could have said, oh, look at what the guy did, man. Now he's under a curse. He's coming under judgment. He's going to die. He deserved it. No, go find him and take care of him. And that shocked people. And that was an example to a lot of people. So, bless those who curse you. Get over yourself. And stop looking in the past. I'm like this because of my father, my mother. 
I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Where I grew up, they didn't even have any tracks. This, they did this to me at the other church. They did that to me at the... Get over it, please. You have to walk. You have to forget it. You have to leave it behind. Otherwise, you can't move forward. You're always looking back like Lot's wife. The Lord said, leave and don't look back. Get out of there. And don't you look back. Separate yourself. And don't look back. Thank you for tuning into my podcast. I hope that you have been blessed. I would like for you to consider two things. Number one, subscribe to our show to receive notifications of our new podcasts. Number two, support our ministry of reaching the nations with revival by clicking on the link in the description or visiting our website, riverwpb.com. Thank you for tuning in. Look forward to you joining our next podcast. God bless you.